volume. Welcome to another episode of Zondo Commission Unpacked, a Corruption Watch podcast. We are produced by Volume Podcasts, and I'm your host, Mwepeng Valencia Talani. We have another interesting discussion lined up for you today, and our guest is Zen Mate, an investigator for Open Secrets. Welcome to Zondo Commission Unpacked, Zen. Thank you, Mwepeng. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Great, great. Now, the State Capture Commission has come and gone. It's been characterized by some as a, an opportunity of sorts for our democratic state to review its governance systems and correct their shortcomings. President Cyril Ramaphosa would like us to believe that the work in that regard is continuing, supported by many individuals, committees, councils, that work behind the scenes to fix what was broken during the state capture period. But we don't get to hear a lot about who's go, who's doing what and when. So the efforts of civil society groups come in very handy, especially when it's about exposing what's wrong with the state. The Zondo Commission implicated a number of people and corporations as well that it said were involved in state capture in South Africa. Now, a number of criminal cases are underway as we speak, mostly holding accountable former executives and leaders of state institutions. But we've hardly seen consequences before private sector players, if you will, uh, who were deeply invested in the state capture project. We've heard of monies being paid back to the South African government, but not much else happening to hold these companies accountable for their actions. Open Secrets recently um, released a report that touches on this lack of accountability and the cost thereof to the ordinary South African. It's called the consultants. And then I'd like us to start our conversation there, basically talking about the consultants report. What are the key points that come out of that report for you that should be of interest to South Africans? Thank you, Mopeng. And and definitely um, one of the the key points that comes through in, in the CCR reports that Open Secrets released on the consultants, this is actually a third volume um, in, 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 a, in a series um, that Open Secrets um, runs called um, CCR is short for the Corporations of Economic Crime Report. Um, and in this one, we spotlight um, the consultants and, and the role that they played um, in state capture. And I think um, to answer your question, the key points that came forward that we um, tried to bring across that would be of interest to the public um, in this report is this important notion that, um, you know, there is this, I think what's captured in the public imagination um, for us as a country um, more particularly, but I think also globally is, is the notion that, you know, corruption and state capture is in some ways, not only a South African problem, but also it's a public sector problem. And what this report does, um, and um, in particular, with this one focusing on the consultants, but more broadly, corporations in economic crime as, as a series, is to to really highlight the fact that, you know, state capture is in fact, and corruption are in fact not, um, you know, South African issues and South African only problems. And um, they are not... Um, 
uh, a public sector issue. You know, there, there's this, uh, what the report really brings forward is that this notion of a sanitized private sector um, is, is, ill-founded and um, is in fact absolutely not true and and what we try to bring across with um, the consultants um, being McKinsey, Bain and Bolton Consulting uh, Group, BCG, is to say that um, through looking at the case studies particularly that focus um, on, on the role of these consulting firms in state capture and corruption um, is, is that you know these private sector institutions have been enablers uh, who have been central to just the capture and corruption, both in South Africa in our contemporary um, uh, saga of state capture and corruption, but also um, what we do is to spotlight these these consulting firms in the long shadow of history and 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 show that this is they are part of a global phenomenon of the way of um, doing business. And of course, the role of consultants is in their form and nature to um, to sanitize public opinion and to sanitize um, the image of um, not only themselves, but whoever they're working with. And so it's no surprise that there is this conception um, and an idea that, you know, you have a, a corrupt public sector and um, a, a sanitized private sector. And often, what you'll find is that, um, you know, when when there's um, issues around state capture and corruption or, or or concerns of corruption, the response is to to bring in private sector actors to um, help ensure that um, there is no corruption, uh, particularly when it comes to um, uh, state contracts and doing business with the state. And what and and what we show is that. Um, not only are um, these private sector consulting firms, but also private sector actors, that's including the banks um, and the auditing firms and others of the like, um, are not only um, as they like to paint themselves victims or um, unwitting pawns uh, in, in a chess game of corruption and state capture, um, but um, are, are enablers they would not be able um, to be um, this sophisticated global machinery of what it is to then launder money across the globe um, uh, through various companies and through various banks um, without these private sector actors. And so I think that is, I think, the key point that we, we bring across in, in, in the report and, and we try to spotlight is precisely um, that notion that, you know, we're saying um, more than that, they are um, key, they are key turning points in, in, in a pipeline of yeah, sophisticated machinery um, through which um, funds are, are, are siphoned out of state coffers um, and into the pocket of, of, of these um, oftentimes global companies. And I think um, the, the, the key point that we drive um, in showing, I think, the, the global nature of this is to really say that, yeah, you, you, you weren't, um, it's different to opportunistic crime, opportunistic corruption in the sense that, um, um, yeah, you are, you are central without the banks, without the consultants, without the auditing, auditing firms, and without these um, private sector enablers, um, they would be, um, key points at which arguably the flow of corruption, the flow of state capture, which is 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 
is necessary to ensure that um, corruption and, and state capture work would, would not then be there. And so beyond just being part of it, um, they are central to ensuring that it works and enabling um, precisely that. And I think the other important thing that comes that we try to bring across um, in the report is what is then the what what is the central point is that these global consulting firms are making money to the tune of billions um, and 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 siphoning out um, key funds that should be used um, for for social welfare protection and social social wel welfare um, in 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 countries. Um, well, across, across the globe, but also in countries, for example, like us in South Africa, that really need um, um, need the social protections. Um, and and so you have these global consulting firms that are already making billions, making more, um, while, um, you know, the person on the ground, us ordinary South Africans and, and um, you know, the people that need um, social protections, across the country and across the continent and across the world being left um, without, you know, with states that are unable to then provide that um, while you know, these companies continue to make billions. You bring up bank, the banking sector, for instance, um, and the auditors that also take part in the, uh, you know, scenario of, of how, um, tender corruption, procurement corruption happens. And the other, although the banking sector and the auditors tend to be regulated, the, the, the consultancy firms that you speak of, these big, well-funded, well wealthy companies that are global in their nature are not. And one of the issues that you raise in the report is that, of course, because they're not regulated and how they do business with the state is not regulated, that that then becomes part of the problem, does it not? I mean, absolutely, Mufeng. And um, that's one of the key um, um, things that we bring across in the report is to say that, you know, there's insufficient accountability and inadequate regulation. Uh, regulation. You know, the management consultants offer a unique set of professional services, which is different from those uh, provided, for example, by lawyers, auditors, accountants, and banks. Um, and yeah, this is a sector that's devoid of regulation with no codes of ethics, no oversight, and no mandatory industry-wide um, professional standards. Um, the and so the consultancy industry is, in, in, in many ways, um, allowed to reign free. And I think it's important, um, and, and we bring this up in the report to say it is important to challenge um, the management consultancy's culture of, you know, taking no credit, accepting no blame. And this allows those motivated by profit over principle to have, I think, deleterious effects on democracy and human rights. And if consulting firms remain unaccountable and are allowed to continue to make out of court settlements, for example, or present mere apologies to commissions of inquiry, um, they will continue to place profit over principle. And so based on these, I think what what, what the issue then is, is you have a systemic issue um, in, 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 in the industry of consulting. Um, and, you know, I think they can, they can foreshadow 
that they might run into issues in the way that they do business. And um, it's almost as if they, they factor that into their cost of doing business. And so when it does come time where, or they, they, a story breaks and they do happen to be caught, um, you know, um, they uh, you feel like an apology um, and a paying back of the fees um, is enough, but there's no regulatory body that oversees the work of consultants. And um, it's one of the key recommendations actually that the report makes to say that um, the industry cannot continue to operate um, ungoverned. Look, it's a big deal for a civil society organization like yourselves to bring exactly that point to the fore and expose the fact that because they're not regulated, they're going to continue to make the money that they do through state contracts and then come in with a with a occasional apology, a PR exercise here and there, and to cleanse their own reputation, of course. Has there been a, a, any response from any of the companies that you guys have named in the report? Interestingly, we actually did. We reached out to um, McKinsey and to Bain and to BCG uh, for a response. Um, for a right to reply um, with a set of questions um, highlighting what uh, before publication, giving them um, a chance to, to respond to us. And I think, um, you know, McKenzie and Bain responded, BCG, we didn't get a response from. But um, uh, again, often what we saw in the responses is um, efforts to do what they do. Right, which is to, for example, in the case of McKinsey, um, the response was that they have been co cooperating with the Zondo Commission and that um, they have been, they have, and we include this in the report. So um, we include both responses in the report. So um, everybody's able to go um, read and, 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 and see what those were in more detail, but just to, to, to pick out one or two things from, from each of the responses for, from McKinsey, we got a response um, saying that, yes, they've been complying with the commission and they've been working with the commission that they've introduced, um, they're introducing mechanisms to try and safeguard against, um, you know, um, doing business um, in a bad way in the future. But of course, you know, the, they have silver tongues, this is their job. Um, and, and, um, and, and for example, in, in the case of Bain, um, it, we got a different but similar response because they haven't necessarily been um, as, um, I think, forthcoming with um, working, for example, with various commissions in, in some ways, one might argue, as we do in the report. Um, but the response from Bain was that they've issued a public apology and they've paid back the money. And so, um, and in both the responses, Again, um, it's it's a lot of uh, skirting around the issue and um, and and really and really accepting no blame um, and 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 in many ways saying in the in the in the instance of Bain in particular, Bain continues to claim that they were you know unaware you know they they didn't know essentially that. They, they thought they were just doing business. It turns out that they didn't provide the, the necessary oversight mechanisms. And oops, by mistake, they ended up in a situation where they, they enabled state capture. And I mean, I think that on both fronts is by no means good enough. I think when you look at the public cost, for for example, with Bain and they, they consulting work at SARS, um, you, you really see the fact that a mere apology and and accepting no blame and scapegoating um, 
the issue is is um, simply not enough. And to say that you've paid back the money when and and that being enough when you've left a a, a state institution, for example, like SARS, that was um, doing so well before um, uh, Bain came in um, and um, did the work at SARS and left the institution um, a hollowed shell of its former self um, to then say, you know, we, we've paid back some of the money or we've paid back all of the money and, and so then that's fine. Um, you When you decapacitate a, a state institution, one of which was actually doing well before that, um, you and and on top of that, a, an essential one of a tax collection um, revenue agency of a country, you're um, you're taking away the ability of the state to to be able to provide the social um, protections and welfare that um, it then is unable to, to do. In hindsight, when you look at in the context of the state capture commission and what was exposed about the the companies, the consultancies, firms and the 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 amounts of monies that they made from state contracts and them having to sort of save their reputation and and pay back some and engage in this pr exercise of apologizing publicly and stuff like that when you think of that and you think of the attitude the general attitude and the culture of we will answer to this platform but not necessarily to that platform um the civil society organization that's that's trying to expose how we work do you think that given what we know about these companies and what has been revealed through the state capture commission and what they have been put through the well the the consequences that they have faced and the uh, including the public humiliation i suppose do you think that's enough of a deterrent to other companies that may look to do the same to to engage in contracting with the state in future um, I know that the Chief Justice has said in the past that there are no um, indications that state capture could never happen again. I mean, it, it is a, a risk and a possibility that it's, it, it, it could happen again. But in, in the context of these companies, consultancy firms, international consultancy firms, looking at the, the state of affairs in South Africa at the moment and what we are trying to do, uh, the little that is being done, to to reverse state capture and sort of prevent it from happening again. Would you say that we are safe to to assume that um, global companies like them would not engage in dodgy contracts with the state again? Well, <laughs> uh, that's an interesting question. I think uh, I'll try to answer that question, I, I suppose, in two ways. Uh, speaking, I think, on my on the first point on the Zondo Commission's findings, for example, um, and mm. I'll speak maybe uh, particularly to Bain and, 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 and the work on SARS. Um, so the Zondo Commission's findings um, in the case of SARS um, are, are damning. And the role of Bain, you know, so, um, you know, the findings of the commission um, say that there, there can be no doubt that SARS was captured. And um, critically in the final report, the commission identified, I think, the key figures that were that enabled state capture at SARS. And I think a direct quote is that um, the collusion between SARS 
um, the executive, including former President Jacob Zuma and the management consultancy Bain and Company South Africa or Bain, um, was uh, was a planned and coordinated agenda to seize and restructure SARS well in advance of the appointment of either Bain or Tom Liane and the former SARS commissioner at the time. And I think that those are some strong findings made by the Zondo Commission and um, go uh, a long way um, into kind of drawing a line in the sand to say, um, to call the kettle black, to say, you know, you can't deny that there was, there is no doubt to quote the commission that, you know, Bain was involved in what was then, you know, this, this capture of, of SARS. The, the Zondo Commission's findings are not as strong on other public sector enablers um, and entities, for example, as it, it was on, on, on Bain, um, just in that particular example. But on the question of is, is there a strong enough deterrent? I mean, in the case of, of uh, a response from the presidency, we did see, for example, a ban on Bain for a 10-year ban on Bain from doing business with the state um and um that that's powerful and that actually did follow the U united kingdoms the uk's ban um on 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 bain as well on doing um business with the state however i mean uh, not long thereafter the, the uk lifted uh, the ban on bain and you know so it's almost has been this this thing of you know, one step forward, two steps back. But um, to answer the question of, is there enough of a deterrent? Can, do you think, you know, private sector um, actors won't um, be involved in, in corruption and capture and business with the state? The report in particular, and um, I think the nature of the beast is that they, that is the way that business is done, you know? So, um, Often we need um, mechanisms in place through regulation bodies and through responses from the state to ensure that's why we need um, protection mechanisms and institutional um, built um, regulation because uh, the, the nature of the way that um, businesses and private sector um, actors function is to always prioritize the bottom line and that you know, and that is just and and whatever comes with the cost of doing business is simply that whether you're an arms company um profiting from selling weaponry to states that are warring um or whether you're a, a global consulting firm gutting a tax institution um and then um you know taking away the capacity of a state to be able to provide social protection mechanisms um the the way that the beast of capitalism and the way that then um, companies work is precisely based on follow on on the money and the bottom line and the prioritization of profit over people um, and profiting from misery and so there's absolutely no way to say that there'll be a revolution where private companies all of a sudden care <laughs> that you know, um, don't prioritize the bottom line and, 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 and you know, uh, place principle over profit. That's absolutely simply never going to be the way that it works. And so um, that is why often um, and almost always the core when it comes to challenging private sector actors is never really um, 
not never really, but isn't often an onus on the companies um, to self-regulate or self-change because that's simply not at all how it works. And, um, you know, we're talking about a global institutional capitalist society that has been um, built for, for, for hundreds of years, you know? And so simply why it is so important and why it's so important to have um, accountability and to have mechanisms in place to regulate uh, private sector actors and why precisely why it is an issue why um, global consulting firms don't have a sector regulator um, the way other professions and private sector actors such as lawyers and banks and auditors and accountants have and often um, even when you do have regulations um, there are uh, ways in which these private sector actors find around that regulation to continue to uh, and, and go to big lengths um, to, to, to do business um, in and around those regulations. Um, and therefore, uh, how much more then in a situation where you aren't regulated um, do you need um, that kind of regulation? So it would have been great then to have a recommendation within the Lord Commission report that speaks to exactly that, the regulation of of uh, how these companies do business with the state. And furthermore, in the in how government responded to the recommendations in this implementation plan, there should have been some thought or some effort towards how we put mechanisms in place that regulate that space. Would you not agree? No, absolutely. I absolutely agree. And 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 just I think just to to highlight the cost of the lack thereof is to say, for example, the success of SARS is you know vital to the country, um, and the the work of Bain, for example. Um, so more more in in our um, corruption state capture landscape, the looting of the SOEs and the government's efforts to bail out the SOEs in the aftermath, so to speak, aftermath, I think, in inverted commas, because I think there is a question about is there a notion of an after capture or is that not um, or, or is that not quite a thing? But I guess that's maybe possibly a conversation for another time. But, you know, the looting of <laughs> SOEs, yeah, and so the looting of SOEs and the government's efforts to bail them out has meant that the country has lost... Um, around 308 billion in public funding that has been spent to keep looted entities barely afloat. And so, and, and we're in an economic situation as a country right now in particular, where austerity measures are now in place with government declining to spend more on basic public services and instead opting to prioritize getting its debt under control. And so tax collection has become, I think, has has become and always been a key mechanism upon which the government has relied on to raise the revenue to to, to pay its debt. And so that just shows the central role um, that SARS plays. And therefore, you know, the gutting of that kind of institution has, no matter, you know, if your contract was 164 million, the cost, the actual true cost, when you, um, in a sense, cripple the tax collection agency of a country is far-reaching and far-outweighs that kind of amount of money. And so, and, and in particular during the period 
in which um you know former SARS commissioner Tom Rihanna and Bain were in control of SARS, the agency consistently failed to meet its revenue targets, you know, and the shortfall um was, you know, in 2014 and 2015 was 7.3 billion. And then in 2015 and 2016, the SARS shortfall um, became 11.3 billion. And in 2016 and 2017, it was 3.7 billion. And then following that in 2008, the tax revenue shortfall at SARS contributed to the first VAT hike since the advent of democracy in South Africa. And so that disproportionately affects the most vulnerable in our society. And so then the value of the budgets of 2014 and 15 and 16 shows that and 17 shows that SARS revenue shortfall had a major adverse effect for example on South Africa's decline in social spending during the periods in that year and so it isn't necessarily oh you you know and and this is talking in particular in in Bain's work at SARS where they feel like you know our contract was 164 million we paid back the money when you look at the numbers of the cost of that role of enabling capture at the country's tax revenue agency, you really are, are, are showing and realizing and spotlighting the fact that it doesn't come anywhere near to, to paying back the actual social cost of what it costs the country. Wow. So the ripple effects continue to be felt by the most vulnerable in our country. I suppose we could leave this conversation on that gloomy note. Thank you very much then for for contextualizing that so, so well and um, giving us so much insight into really how much of an impact a corrupt relationship with a consultancy firm has on the state and how it runs its services. Thank you very much. It's been great, great to have you. As always, uh, we hope to speak to you again in the future. Thank you very much, Morfeng. Well, that's been another episode of Zondo Commission Unpacked, brought to you by Corruption Watch. We're produced by Volume Podcasts. It's goodbye from me, Morfeng Valencia Talani. Volume.